0: We are here on what is one sort of the first very warm days here in Delaware for me, so I'm, I'm very excited for uh, spring to have finally sprung, but uh, we we're also with a guest who uh, her reputation precedes her. She was also recommended by Josie Alquist. interviewed a few times on the show and I've known her for a while, so I'm very excited to have this conversation for me to get to know her a little bit better and for other folks to get to know her a little bit better as well, but she's been out and about doing a lot of great things. We'll be trying to get to as much of it uh, as we can on the on the show here today, but We will have you uh, introduce yourself, uh, Teresa, if you want to just give kind of the quick Twitter bio elevator pitch of your background and how you get to be where you are today.
1: My name is Teresa Valerio-Parrott. I'm principal of TVP Communications and proud to say that TVP Communications is now 12 years old and we provide communications and leadership counsel to boards, presidents, vice presidents, and marketing and communications units. I'm also co-editor of the Inside Higher Ed Call to Action blog, which is focused on marketing and communications topics, and I'm co-host of the Trusted Voices podcast. I sit on a number of boards and committees and commissions for higher education, and I just want to call out two of those. One is I'm on the PRSA, so that's Public Relations Society of America's Board of Directors, and I represent the Western District. And I also am on the American Marketing Association, or AMA's, Planning Committee for the Symposium for the Marketing of Higher Education. And I just successfully defended my dissertation for my doctoral degree last week.
0: Very exciting. Thank you. A labor of love for so many people and...
1: uh... It has been a thing. Yeah. Well, it's
0: kind of funny because I think like maybe it's like people like were like slowing down like during the pandemic or started doing it or something. But like I just feel like a lot of people I've been following, or maybe it's just like I'm getting to be that age, or sort of like a thing that people are doing now. You know, like obviously people would have been doing it like 10 years ago that like I, I necessarily was like super close with, but just like just a wave of people like doing dissertation defenses, which is uh super awesome.
1: Well, and I think it's because when the pandemic hit, I decided, well, I have no idea what workload is going to look like. So maybe this is a time for me to go back and get my doctoral degree. And little did I know work was actually going to get that much busier. <laughs> so I added that on as I was also then navigating uh, uh, the pandemic with everybody else as well. But I think you're right. I have been just loving, liking, and supporting all of the posts that I'm seeing. And it's pretty fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because I think that is where it's like, yeah, you know, a lot of people thought that they would be like, less busy but it's just like oh no I'm just like yes. busy in a different way like certain things like went away for sure but then they were just like replaced with something different or whatever you know um but yeah I mean obviously you have a lot of different involvements I guess it's just sort of like one sort of follow-up question obviously a lot of it is you know just sort of like communication sort of focused you know like kind of public uh relations and outreach and everything sort of like uh I guess for some of them I guess you maybe are bringing in I assume like a unique sort of higher ed perspective, maybe to like, you know, PRSSA, mm-hmm. like in those sort of things, like, but I guess just like, um, what do all those sort of different involvements sort of like give you, or what do you feel like you give to that? Like just sort of talking through those. Mm-hmm. Cause I think like, you know, to some people that there, th- there's sort of involvements that are very attractive to them or like, they want to sort of aspire yes. towards and just sort of like how that sort of all kind of fits together for you.
1: I think what they provide for me, and um, I would love to talk about this later, is that I still see myself as participating in professional development. And I think that's fascinating because when I got to a certain point in my career, I think people thought that now I provide knowledge back, which I do and I'm pleased to do, but I'm still looking for ways that I can continue to learn. And there's still so much for all of us to learn about higher education and how it works and also our professions. And so for each of my board opportunities, what I really like to do is to think what can I contribute and also how can I grow either as a leader or as a practitioner or as just a human being. Um, and so it's been interesting to me to take on these different roles and um, to really immerse myself in them. And I think for some of the boards, we've all had a group project because a board is basically one big group project, right? Where um, some people don't participate as much as others. And I'm happy to say that even in my board roles, I'm still that person who's going to give all of what I need to give and possibly pick up some of the work of others who just don't have the time or the energy to do it.
0: Hmm. That's a really good point. I mean, honestly, like, well, absolutely, link out to all those great organizations so folks can check them out. And I think that is, yes, honestly, kind of a refreshing kind of perspective on, it, on that idea. Where it's like, I'm doing this, like, yes, to sort of like give back and give to others and all these sort of things. But it's like, this is also a learning opportunity for me. Like, because it could even be just like, how do you plan a conference? What's that like? Like, that's like a learning right. opportunity. But right. then, like, you know, yeah, like kind of networking and learning from other people, but then just sort of having, uh, you know different vantage points on like communities and how you know these people learn from each other and how you can kind of structure facilitate that so like you know obviously like it's industry knowledge that you're sort of continually mm-hmm. making yourself kind of privy to but then like all those other little kind of nooks and crannies of stuff that can be very transferable and applicable um you know to to your daily work and everything so
1: Um, Well, and it's interesting. I love that you mentioned Josie because I adore Josie Alquist. And um, she, uh, about maybe about two years ago, approached me and asked if I would be her mentor. And I said, absolutely. But that's I think mentoring is a two-way street because I think I have experiences that I can share with her and advice that I can give to her. And also she has a whole career of experiences that I want to tap into as well. And it kind of took her aback. And she said, she's asked other people to be mentors and they've accepted, but they've not pushed back and said, and what can I learn from you? And I think that's kind of how I approach so many different things is that I don't know everything and I'm fine with not knowing everything, but I want to know more. Um, and Josie has been fantastic about helping me navigate some different areas and and think about how I present myself, whether it's on social or you know how I'm kind of framing different items. And uh, I'd love to talk to you about the podcast that I co-host because it was really Josie's idea. It was as she and I were talking and she was saying, you know what you might want to do and you might enjoy? Why don't you host a podcast? And to hear her say that was not just affirming, but also made me stop and think, yeah, maybe I do want to do that. I think we all need those kind of friendships and also those kind of um, relationships that go both ways.
0: I appreciate that sort of like inherent humility where it's like that kind of like curiosity, that openness, that sort of just like kind of like authentic where it's like, hey, I know a lot. I don't know everything. I, I'm expecting that I will continually learn. And um, I know uh, kind of almost like for uh, prep for myself, I listened to your uh, the episode that you were a guest on of Josie's podcast. So we will have to link out to that one because that, that one is just like very engaging and like sort of like lighthearted, but also just like super relevant awesome. and awesome. So yeah, she yeah. and that idea of like... You know, as somebody that you just like respect or trust. But then it's also like, I think a lot of people nowadays, because like podcasting is a new blogging kind of thing, like, you know, they'll say like, oh, you should podcast, you should podcast. But if it's like somebody like her or anybody else, it's like, you know, better because you do it. And you're like, I think you could and you'd be good at it. And like, it'd be, you know, worth your time. But yeah, we can, we can um jump ahead just because we kind of set up the segue perfectly for it. Cause I wanted, and I love talking to people that, I have kind of taken the plunge into uh, podcasting a little bit more recently and everything as I've been doing this for a long, long time. (laughs) I I love it. And I I find a lot of fulfillment from it myself and being able to sort of, you know, kind of how we're talking, like give to the field and, you know, kind of share knowledge and uh, all that kind of stuff. So what has that experience been like? So obviously you got that kind of like af- affirmation, that nudge to kind of look into it and pursue it. But then like, what has that experience been like to kind of, you know, put your voice out there on a regular basis? And even I don't know how much of the technical side of things that you've like gotten into and everything. But yeah, just any reflections on the experience so
1: far? So, um, I had the great pleasure of being on the higher voltage podcast with Kevin Tyler a couple of times, and it was so much fun. And just to talk to him and to have the conversation and a conversation about what I was thinking about and what was on my mind and what trends I was seeing in higher education. And it felt like a natural progression to talk about, Um, a show. And um, one of the people I had had um, some joint opportunities with is someone I work with. Her name is Erin Hennessy, and she's amazing. She's Executive VP at TVP Communications. And it made sense for us to go ahead and have uh, a co-hosted podcast. And part of the reason we did that is we learned during all of the Zoom happy hours that we all used to have, that we love to banter back and forth, and people would just sit and watch us as if it was like a television show. And it was supposed to be, you know, a, a happy hour. We were all supposed to just talk about how we were doing. And I think that we knew we had something there. So um, we have a joint production with TVP Communications and Volt um, for the Trusted Voices podcast. And it's just been, so much fun. Um, I'm pleased to say I do nothing on the technical side. And I'm absolutely happy with that because I would probably break something. Um, But it is fun to just sit and brainstorm about who do we think are trusted voices and what can they share? And what does this look like? And we know that we have this very unique spot where we are able to talk to leaders that others wouldn't be able to talk with. So for us to be able to introduce them to others and talk about um, their leadership and their expertise and their experiences has just been awesome. So we're enjoying the experience and we're pleased we're only this is our fourth, fifth episode um, and it comes in two episode um, packages, if you will. We're loving it. So our first episode, we do have that banter and then we interview a guest. And then our second episode within that package is us debriefing what the guest said um, and kind of pulling out what we thought the the best nuggets were of their leadership.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is like (laughs) I don't know if I've ever like vocalized this, but like my sort of pipe dream, if I were to like, you know, have sort of like all the time and money in the world or whatever is like, I wish that I could have sort of a like regular co-host or like a panel, you know, like because there's shows that I follow where I'm just like, I want that, like that sort of, yeah, the banter, the camaraderie, the whatever, like um, I've always rode solo and like for a lot of the journey up until, You know, uh, now like joining uh, with the Enrollify folks, it's like I was doing all the editing and all the kind of stuff. So it's like, that's kind of the next frontier where it's just like, like I always kind of want like a radio show or something, you know, just sort of like, you know, you hop on and you talk about stuff or something. But um, maybe that's like a companion show in the future or something. Right. Um,
1: Well, let me know if you're ever interested because I think there (laughs) is something that, you know, and this goes back to, you know, when we go to conferences or when we do different things, I think so much of the best conversation is what happens in the hallway, right? And in some ways, that's what we're giving people. And that's what you're talking about, too, is it's that human interaction that's so different than kind of how we button ourselves up for an episode about whatever the topic might be. And that adds humanity, but it also adds what we all really face day to day in higher education.
0: I could talk about this for the entire episode, so we'll we'll, we'll leave it there. But because I wanted to make sure that we also uh, kind of showed a light and helped uplift uh, the dissertation that you were, you know, uh, just talking <laughs> about finishing and you know uh, passing your defense and everything, um, just kind of giving kind of a quick sort of uh, you know explanation of like you know what the what the topic was, how that came to be, and just sort of reflections on on that experience.
1: Well, perfect. Um, When I started my career in higher education many moons ago, I was at the University of Colorado System, and I worked for the governing board during some very interesting crisis-filled years tied to intercollegiate athletics. And so I've spent the last number of years uh, thinking What could my board have done better or differently at that time? And what should we have done for our student athletes and the students across the campuses at that time as well? So I've had this in the back of my mind. And when we started talking about what are passion topics, interestingly, everybody chose topics that were more closely aligned with what they do in their real-time jobs. That would have been smarter. I should have written something on like communications. Um, but I still had this in the back of my mind about what could the board have done differently and how could I have advised them with the knowledge I have now. So I'll read you the title. It's a mouthful. I love it. Um, it's Presidential and Board Governance of Division One Intercollegiate Athletics. How do the players, the rules, the games influence Temple's prestige and positioning? And it was So much fun to write. Um, I chose to attend Southern Methodist University um, based on the faculty there. I wanted the preeminent expert on presidential um, leadership and the preeminent expert on board governance to be on my um, committee and was so pleased to have them join. And then earlier in my career, I was able to staff the Knight Commission, which is the um, athletics watchdog. And one of the co-chairs at that time, his name was Britt Kerwin. He was just phenomenal and amazing. So he's the former president at Maryland College Park, former president of the Ohio State University, uh, president, I think he's chancellor emeritus of the Maryland system. And he chaired the Knight Commission for 12 years. And he was my third committee member. He was awesome. And to be able to have three leading experts in the country, allowing me to just have this what if project, I don't know that I'll ever have that kind of an experience again. And I could not be more honored.
0: Let's play a game. What keywords does your website rank for? What doesn't it rank for that you think it should? What are a few opportunities you could be winning on if you tweaked some website copy? Okay, how'd you do? Not great. That's okay. Because our friends at DD Agency want to answer all of those questions for you and then some. DD Agency is a higher ed specific marketing technology agency that has conducted countless SEO audits for colleges and universities across the country. In these audits, they detail where you currently rank, what you could be ranking for, exactly how copies should be tweaked on website pages, and much more. If this sounds like something you could benefit from, give those folks a ping and be sure to mention that Enrollify sent you to claim a 10% discount on any of their SEO offerings. Head on over to enrollify.org slash D-D-A-S-E-O, or simply follow the link in the show notes below. That will guarantee you a 10% discount off of your audit. Again, Head on over to Enrollify.org slash D-D-A-S-E-O to learn more. Now, on to the show. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I know, uh, yeah, just the athletics, like, I mean, uh, as the name would apply, being a hired geek, I'm not uh, particularly athletically inclined, uh, but. Uh, Nor am I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I think just like, you know, observing this space, and obviously it's so integral to the higher ed experience and like like you Mm -hmm. said it's like i think that was really awesome of you to kind of like how can i bring my experience my background to this thing that you know uh yeah sort of like you know others might have seen like oh that's so like tangential or whatever like but it's so kind of core to so many you know institutional brands and so many student experiences and you know whether you are a fan watching in the stands and builds your school spirit or you know playing out in the field kind of thing so i think just like you know, that acknowledgement and like that kind of recognition and then being like, all right, let's, let's dive in. Let's, you know, explore how we can sort of bring sort of the, the comms expertise that you have, uh, to that space and everything. Um, because it's, you know, I don't know, just like for the rest of higher ed, I think in this moment, kind of, uh, trying to tee up kind of my next question, but like, you know, that there's, uh, just a lot of sort of like public scrutiny or sort of, you know, there's a lot of eyes yes. on them. So it's like, you know, athletics can be one lightning rod in addition to a lot of others. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's just going to be very much appreciated, you know, this uh, sort of contribution of knowledge to sort of the, uh, the greater field of, uh, you know, of higher ed and everything. So, um, yeah.
1: It's really well, fun. and I know you and I have talked about trends, right? What are we seeing and what is it that's going on in higher education now? And I think you've hit upon the one that, I think is the biggest issue that I'm seeing in my world. And that is that everybody wants to know what the value of higher education is. There's so much scrutiny. There's so much critique. There's so much that we are now finally um, quantifying and we're trying to make the case for what it is that we do. But I also feel like I'm spending my time encouraging institutions to double down on authenticity and truthfulness, And that extends across an institution, whether it's about athletics or it's about academics, about the economic mobility we provide, whatever it might be. I don't think that we can just continue to say uh, what we want to say about what we do, but instead we need to share examples and data and we need to live what it is that we're promising our audiences. So I feel like this trend of uh, truthfulness is something that I really value, and I hope continues. Um, but I'll be curious to see what happens, especially should that conversation about the value shift or maybe lessen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know that it's going to lessen, but you never know.
0: No, well, yeah, and I mean, I you know consume enough, you know, kind of like podcast and other uh, content on higher ed, where like you know, there's people where it's like. The federal government like from one sort of like major constituent stakeholder like invest a lot in higher education so they have a lot of right. expectations and sort of strings attached to that and then like sort of similarly because like taxpayers you know that those are their dollars that are sort of being funneled through to higher education like they you know understandably have sort of a you know an expectation of like yeah like what is the value of all this like what, what, what are the outcomes and i think uh i'm curious on because on, i think that it's going to be on this very big existential level how higher ed sort of responds and grapples and kind of interfaces with this sort of line i think you know the communication sort of the pr of it all will Mm -hmm. be very important so the idea that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know in a lot of states and i think you're just seeing this being like a a long tread line is that like the era of higher ed autonomy is potentially like being challenged or, uh, you know, yes. going like towards the horizon. I don't know, like some sort of metaphor or whatever, because like, you know, tenure and how they, you know, in certain States are investing in DEI initiatives and everything. So like, do you think that that is what kind of like, cause they, yeah, absolutely. The sort of like the value of college has been, and will continue to be this sort of huge existential question, but then just like how higher ed sort of, uh, understands almost like it's limitations or something where it's just like that idea like, well, hey, we've been here for 200 years and we've never had to like, you know, deal with this. And I don't think we ever should. whatever. Like that could be how some institutions sort of like grapple with sort of like scrutiny or, you know, what some would say is like accountability or those sort of things. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Of just sort of some of these other sort of big existential sort of issues and how higher ed sort of communicates about them?
1: I feel like um, higher education is always political. And I think that's one thing for people to remember. It has always been in the middle of uh, politicalization in this country. I think for many of the topics that have been raised, we've been able to just wait out the storm. If you just wait long enough, then um, it's going to go ahead and go away. And what we're seeing is that it is becoming a perfect storm because we could always say we don't necessarily have to weigh in on this because we have the strength of enrollment and not all institutions do now. And we used to be able to say we're okay to kind of just weather the storm because our state support is strong. And that doesn't exactly exist everywhere. So I think there is this moment where if we look at the collective Um, energy that we're seeing, I think it really is an interesting time for higher education because there isn't one part of higher ed right now that isn't being questioned by elected officials in a state somewhere, whether it's students. And you can go to DEI. You can go to who and how we enroll. It could be a number of different topics to faculty. Who do we hire? What do they teach all the way to the curricular level? And um, what are their beliefs to athletics? We have all the changes with NIL. um, So name image likeness and the transfer portal. And what do we do with Title IX? There doesn't seem to be a part of our industry that isn't being critiqued and potentially isn't vulnerable. So I think it's this interesting time for the associations and the collectives of institutions to say, how do we talk about what we do more holistically as an industry, but also not miss the moment for individual campuses to also talk about what they do well um, for their students and for their communities? And it seems to be we think it has to be one or the other. And I don't think that we will have a strong industry if we treat it as if it's one or the other. It has to be both. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, the idea that like we've been able to sort of just like bide our time, you know, we're like yeah, like weather these storms, right. but like this moment,
1: we'll just wait it out. This, right. this
0: moment requires a response and sort of you know being like, okay, everybody here, we're gonna show our work, we're gonna engage, we're gonna right. sort of adapt to this moment or to the sort of demands that are being put upon as uh, so sort of a you know, an individual institution or just sort of a, an industry. But like, um, so one, I'll, I'll have to put this in the show notes. Like I literally finished listening to it before I got on here. So I think that's why it's like jumbling around my brain. And I'm trying to like connect the dots on air here right now. As I was recording of this episode, most recent Inside Higher Ed, the key podcast was with uh, ACE lobbyists who'd worked there for like 30 years. And, you know, he's talking about a lot of the similar stuff, I think, to kind of what you're saying about like, you know, higher ed is always kind of political to an extent. And that, you know, the uh, sort of scrutiny and accountability from the federal government and stuff, you know, sort of justified as the investment has increased and everything. But it's a very interesting time. I mean, obviously, yeah, you just like listed off a laundry list of things that are sort of like, you know, uh, needing to kind of be adapted, like specifically. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's just like institutions can't rest on their laurels anymore. And I think that that's kind of like the sort of takeaway here is like, well, they need to, they need to engage, they need to respond, they need to, you know, you know, be transparent and sort of, uh, you know, what they're doing for students and what the outcomes are.
1: And those right. Sort of and I think part of that reason is because that we've always just been able to say, well, let's just wait this out, is because the public hasn't really engaged in this, right? We've had, whether it's at the state level or the federal level, different elected officials who, use higher education as one of their favorite soapbox issues. But the public hasn't really engaged. And what we're seeing now is that the public is engaging and they're saying, is this worth our money? Is this worth our time? Are my children getting what they thought it would they would get out of a degree? Am I able to pay back my own student loans? The conversation has shifted so that it wasn't a conversation before. instead it was sort of these statements and attempts to draw people in, And now they've been successfully drawn in. So we need to be thinking a little bit differently about it. I don't think that we can go back to just saying, I'm going to wait this out. I think it has to be something that we're much more intentional about moving forward and and truly thinking about where are we vulnerable, not just where do we want to be questioned if we're vulnerable. Because we're not asking some of the deeper questions of ourselves, maybe because we're afraid of what those answers might be, but the public is asking those questions.
0: Yeah, and I think it's like, yeah, because like so much of higher ed is sort of this like, you know, it is like the ivory tower or whatever metaphor you want to use, you know, right. like sort of black right. box, or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just like, on principle, sort of like the, the you know, transparency is not not a bad thing. And especially if you know that you are doing right by students and, you know, uh, all those sort of things. But um, yeah, it's just because like, I think there's like a human nature kind of thing of just sort of like it's like the mystery box because it could be like oh like we don't know what's in there so anything could be in there like we don't know what they're doing they could be doing anything who knows whatever um and then you start to like have that enter in or you know you can kind of go down some kind of irrelevant paths because you just don't know you don't know what's going on and I think um I think maybe if this is sort of the last sort of um aspect of this just to have you kind of respond to is that like you know The idea is, like, if you don't show up to the table, it's like, well, they're still Mm going to make decisions just without you there, like, without your input. Like, that's my sort of thought. It's like, if you're not really, truly, deeply, authentically, transparently engaging, you know, say, your public institution with your state legislature or something, it's like, then you're just going to be sort of, like, you know, getting these mandates of, like, what you can or can't do uh, at your campus. So it's like, you need to try... To hopefully, at least you know affect the outcome in some way by you know your, your comms and how you engage your stakeholders and constituents and you know your community.
1: And I think part of the reason for that is that leaders can be afraid, right? What are the consequences if we go in this way direction or that direction? They might be afraid for what this means for their own tenure, they might be afraid for what it means for the institution. And um, I spend a lot of my time counseling and working with presidents to work through to get them to a point of what I like to say is a calculated level of vulnerability. I don't want them to be whole wholehearted, vulnerable in their positions, but you have to be a little bit vulnerable if you are a leader. So how do we decide what that looks like and what those topics are that they're willing to put themselves out there on? And how do we make sure that we're, um, creating some guardrails so that they do have the ability to participate in leaderly ways and still keep their jobs and keep the public support for their institutions. It's a delicate balance and a delicate dance.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess I I presume because you've engaged in this work, like for me, it's like I'm an eternal optimist and just, you know, an advocate for compromise and us working together and let's like, you know, figure it out. Because I think it's like if people like the, the sort of inverse of that is everybody kind of digs their heels in and is not engaging or working together and just sort of, you know, whatever happens, happens, I guess, versus like that idea of like, it is tough. It's complicated. It is probably, you know, a very long trail of, you know, sort of, you know, working together to kind of figure out compromises on, you know, accountability and outcomes and value and all right. these sort of things. So, um, but it's like, we can figure it out because like, this is all just man-made stuff. So like, we create the problems, we can create the solutions. So I think uh, I am
1: a realistic optimist. So I'm known for being very much of an optimist, but I need to make sure that I balance that within what's possible. Um, So I'm with you. Mm -hmm. And I still, I adore this industry and I adore what it is that we do. And I adore the people who participate in it. And I think that's critically important too.
0: Yeah. Yes. Realistic optimist. That's a great great tagline or like put that on your business card. but. As we're wrapping up, we always like to just kind of give the opportunity for sharing resources and stuff. I think, you know, again, we've got a lot of uh, great organizations that you do work with and I Mm -hmm. don't know if we can uh, link out to your dissertation in any way or anything, but just like, I think this is going to be an episode with a lot of great uh, stuff for uh, folks to check out, you know, both to connect with you and for what we've uh, mentioned here, but uh, just anything else that you'd want to make sure to give kind of a, a call out to here.
1: I want to tell you about a book I'm reading right now. Um, Tia McNair is the author, and she is with AAC&U. She wrote a book called From Equity Talk to Equity Walk, Expanding Practitioner Knowledge for Racial Justice in Higher Education. She's excellent. The book is excellent. Um, I just got to see her speak this past weekend, and um, once again, she completely blew my socks off. She is just so excellent. Fantastic. Um, So I highly encourage people to uh, check out that book. Um, I can't get enough of Kevin McClure's research these days. He is a professor at UM UNC Wilmington. Let me make sure I get all those syllables in there. And he is researching and writing about morale in higher education. He's writing a book. I can't wait for it to come out. I think he's asking a lot of those tough questions and pushing back that the morale issue that higher education is facing predates the pandemic. And uh, I think he's doing it in a very smart and respectful way. Um, and I love reading his what he writes. Um, I love Higher Voltage with Kevin Tyler. I mentioned that before. I love um, Future You podcast, which is with Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn. Um, you mentioned Josie, so I'll give one more shout out to Josie in the podcast. Um, and I encourage everyone to subscribe to as many newsletters and news emails as they possibly can, and then create a smart folder for those so you can do that in Google. It'll send all of those to the folder. And then when you get a chance, just peruse those because so much is changing so quickly in higher education that I try to spend, spend a little bit of time each day, not just looking to see what the Chronicle and Inside Higher Ed are reporting, but adding in some other um, uh, trade outlets like Higher Ed Dive and, and some others, as well as newspapers from around the country. I love going to um, small college towns and seeing what their newspaper is reporting every day um, because you get to se- you get a sense of what it's like to be under that microscope um, in a college town and in a contained environment, as well as looking at things like the New York Times and the Washington Post and how they're covering bigger trends. So create that smart mailbox or you're going to uh, uh, be drowned in emails first thing in the morning. But I think it's really nice to make sure that you're keeping up with what our colleagues are facing around the country because as we've been talking about, something may be introduced in one state or one location, but that doesn't mean it's not going to move to where you're located as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, because I think anymore, and something that was in that um Inside Higher Ed podcast conversation was that like the Higher Ed Act has not been renewed in like 16 years. So like at this point, yes. a lot of the change is happening at the state level and, you know, in this country, like some states look to their peers, their neighbors, like where it's like, oh, okay, like it's working there. How can we adapt that here? So yeah, I think that is, uh, that is spot on. We will wrap up then with our final question that we always like to end on uh, a final thought or call to action on this topic for folks listening uh, to wrap everything
1: up. And I'm going to circle all the way to where we started. And that's just that I would encourage everyone to continue their professional development opportunities and look for ways to expand their community. I would be happy to connect with anybody um, so that I can learn from them and they can learn from me. Um, I hope to see everybody at AMA this fall. We're going to be in Chicago and I love Chicago. Um, And I also think it makes sense to see where else um, you can start to bring additional people into Uh, what you do and share out with them and hear back from them too. So I am such a big fan of community and I don't think there is such a thing as too big of a community. Instead, I think that adds richness to what all of us are learning and um, to what all of us can do in our day-to-day work in higher ed.
0: Great sentiment to end on. Uh, Thank you so much for hanging out and sharing all you did. We'll have ways to connect with you and everything that you mentioned uh, in the show notes as usual. But um, just very much appreciate you for coming on. Appreciate Josie. I'll put that out to the universe for uh, introducing us. Yes. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify podcast network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.